I see I got a new protective device here. I, I, don't, uh, I don't think it's bulletproof, um, uh, and we won't find out uh, either. But in every way, trying to find the best way to um, promote health uh, uh, physically as well as spiritually and emotionally. And one of the ways that we'll do that uh, in these next several uh, weeks, six, seven weeks, we'll be exploring uh, our security. We, we, as a church, we want to be secure, ready to launch in the midst of the world, in the midst of all the changes. We need to be secure and anchored in our, uh, in God, in God's unchanging love. So uh, that's um, what we'll be looking at over the next, um, Several, uh, several weeks, um, and uh, we'll first hear today uh, about our security being in, uh, our, our significance is secure in God. Uh, our our very significance as human beings is secure in God, and we'll take a look at that today. And first, we'll hear from Catherine Sanders, who, who shares with us the the children's moment. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was shapeless, dark, and water was everywhere. And in the Bible, when it took God six days to do all that he created. And after each day, God, it says that God was saying this. So I'm going to hold this up after each day, and I would like for you to say it with me. So the first day, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God separated the light from the dark. He called the light day and the dark night. And God saw that it was good. Now we're on the second day. God said, let there be expanse between the waters and separate the waters from the waters. The expanse is what we call the sky. And, and God, God saw that, that it, it was, was good. good. And on the third day, God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered all in one place so there can be dry land. <clears throat> That's when seas and oceans and rivers and lakes were formed. And then God said, let the dry land bring forth vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees that bear fruit. And God, God saw that it, that it was, was good. good. On the fourth day, God said, let there be light in the expanse of the sky to distinguish between day and night. And God made two great lights. He made the sun to rule the day and the moon to rule the night. And God also made the stars. And then God said, let there be signs that will mark the seasons. And there are four seasons. Can you name them with me? Let's start on the count of three. One, two, three. Fall, Fall, winter, winter, spring, spring, and and summer. summer. That's right. You got them all correct. (laughs) And God saw that it was was good. good. Now we're on the fifth day. God said, let the waters be filled with living creatures and let the birds fly above the sky. So God created sea creatures and every living thing that moves. Then God blessed them and said to be fruitful and multiply and told them to fill the waters of the sea and the sky. 
and God, God saw that it, it was, was good. good. Now we're on the sixth and the last day of creation. God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind. God made all the beasts, which is animals, insects, all the bugs, all the little creepy crawlers that you see upon the earth. God created all of them. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness to rule over all the fish of the sea, all the birds of the sky, and over all the animals and every creature that crawls all over the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and to rule over it. Now, God looked upon all that he had made. And this time he said, indeed, it was good, but he said it was very good. Everything that God created, he created for us. God wants us to rule over it, but not only just rule over it, but to also to take care of it. When God created man, and when I say man, I mean people, he created us to be in fellowship with him, to spend time talking and praying to him. He also says in the Bible that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. He knew each of us before we were born. When we were in our mommy's tummy, God knows everything about us. He knows when we get up, when we lie down at night. He knows what we're thinking. We can't hide anything from him. God promises to provide everything that we need. When we have problems, we can always pray to God and know that he is listening. It was no mistake that God created man. On purpose, God made everything on the earth, above the earth, and below the earth. We reflect his image. All that we, all that we are comes from God. He cares about everything that goes on in our everyday life. With the pandemic, the protests, and all the bad things happening, we must not forget that God is in control. He is the only one that can give us a peace of mind. Our security is in God. We must remember there is only one God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He created everything that is. I don't know what kind of bird call that was that was calling the background, but it was right on cue. You know, just right on cue. So, um, so now we're, we're joining in with, as Catherine led us, that, that security, that sense of being secure, uh, that sense of being free because we're secure in God, who's the, the creator of the whole earth. Yeah. And, you know, when we have that sense of security, the, the reason we talk about this is because that security leads to real freedom. 
When, when we're secure, we're free to be honest. We're free to be whom God created us to be. We're, we're, we're free to, to, to live in the abundance of God's provision for us. Um, I remember back in the days of Little League, you know, playing baseball. And I, I liked to hit and actually was, was, was pretty good at it. Not, not great. I mean, I'm a preacher, not a third baseman in the MLB, but, uh, but I enjoyed it until one day on that, like my second year, I got hit with the pitch instead of hitting the pitch. You know, and after that, I mean, I was not interested in going to the plate anymore. I, I, I don't, I, I was scared. It hurt. And, uh, you know, and I don't know what happened. I wasn't thinking about it beforehand or naive or what, but I was scared and had lost that sense of security until uh, my coach realized it and gave me a flat jacket, you know, and, and the, it was uh, this rubberized jacket you put on, you know, and then he threw a baseball at it and hit me right in the chest and didn't hurt. Well, refound security just had to keep wearing the flak jacket and so i got up and uh, started hitting in practice regularly with the the flak jacket and then the week later i was able to take it off and, and hit back again but that sense of security gave me that freedom again to to participate in in the game and i think the same is for us when our security is anchored in god then we are free no matter how the seasons might change if our security is anchored in the unchanging love of God, then we're freed from fear and anxiety. We're freed even to fail. We're freed to be honest. We're freed to love. And <clears throat> to live in the abundance of God. Instead of in the scarcity of our own imaginations. When we together are secure in the love of God. As as a diverse community of Jesus followers, our security comes in God together. Our our very significance is dependent upon God and nothing else. And I think this is really important for us as a church. uh, As we intentionally pursue being a growing diverse community of Jesus followers. We are, God is accomplishing that in us. And you can see it really plainly about every four years around October. Election seasons. If you weren't aware, we're in election season. I don't know what rock you're uh, living under if you're not aware, but we are. And it is a challenge as a community united in Jesus to be able in our security in him to gather and share with one another our honest opinions and commitments when it comes to election issues. But part of this series, one of the reasons this this series is here is at this time is to be sure in this season that our security is anchored not in a political platform, not even in a nation, but our security is anchored and only anchored in God and His unchanging love. And, and I've seen it in uh, conversations with you and others and in groups that we've, we've uh, had together where we've been able to come together and be united in Jesus even though we have different commitments. Even in the last group that we had last last month, uh, we, we came to that conclusion together at the end and really celebrated that with one another. 
but recognized it's only going to get harder. And a day is going to come sometime after the first Tuesday of November. I'm not a prophet, so I don't know when that day will be. Month, two months, three months after the election, a final decision will be made. And that will be a challenge of the church for us to be sure our significance, our security is anchored in Jesus and that we, because that's the case, will be able to live out what the Apostle Paul called us to do as a community united in Jesus to rejoice with those that rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Because that day will come and we want that kind of freedom of unity in Jesus, that kind of security in Him, no matter what the future might hold. And that will be a specific, wonderful opportunity for us to live into the reality of our security being in Jesus. So so today, we'll look specifically at our significance being secure in Jesus. That our our significance, our, our value, our identity is anchored in the God who loves you, who made you, who never gives up on you. Because it's anchored in Him, then our, again, our significance, our value, it is secure. So today, as Catherine looked at the beginning of Genesis chapter 1, she mentioned the passage that we're going to look at now, which is in Psalm 139, which contains that that quote that she shared, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. So we'll look at Psalm 139. Um, uh, It'll be on the screen, or you can look at it in your Bible, however you have that. Um, And we'll see how our significance uh, is secured and determined and uh, secured and determined by God. All right, um, let's uh, let's pray together. Almighty God, again, we thank you for your word that does teach us of your truths. Uh, now, uh, enable our mind and our heart to receive from you, to hear from you, uh, and then to apply it in our lives because we want that freedom. We want the freedom that comes from having our significance, our very value, being determined and anchored in you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, I'll uh, read through the passage and and, and walk through it. We'll stop uh, sections along the way. But let's, uh, uh, Psalm 139, it's a psalm from David. Let's start verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I I cannot attain it. Just take a a moment there and look at some of the the verbs here that that, that describes God's knowledge of you and me. That he knows you and me. But he actively knows you and me. We can think, well, God's omniscient. You know, he knows everything. So he just is there. He just knows it. It just happens. That's not what what David is telling us here. The, The verbs are active. He searched me. 
He discerned my thoughts. It's not something he just knows because he knows it. It's an active pursuit that God has here of searching us and discerning us and knowing us so well that he even knows every word we're going to say. He he knows our our preferences. He knows our tendencies. He knows our our pleasures. And and again, David just cries out, this is too wonderful. This is more than my mind can even handle. That you know me this well. That you'd, not saying this, but almost a notion, you'd waste your time to search out me. That's how much God knows you and me. Uh, um, I was reminded of an old movie um, that I appreciated. It's so old, I have a copy of it on a VHS. Those tapes that used to go in VCRs, you know. Um, that I have a copy of, of it somewhere. Um, it's uh, um, in a v- VHS called The Mirror Has Two Faces. And it has Jeff Bridges and Barbara Streisand in it. And it's a love story about their life together. And... Um, their, their characters were having dinner and it was in the middle of their relationship as it was being developed. And um, Barbara Streisand character gets up and goes to the bathroom. The waiter comes to the table and the Jeff Bridges character is there. Um, and the waiter asks him, well, what would you like to order? And he's about to say, well, let me wait. And you figure he's about to say until you know she comes back. But he's, he stops us. Yeah. I'll order. And he orders for the both of them. And when Barbara Streisand comes back, sits down at the table, and then, you know, doesn't even think about it, but then the food comes. And the waiter brings the food, and here's this moment, and she's doesn't remember ordering and wonders how in the world the waiter knew exactly what she wanted. And in her, her surprise and asked, well, how did he know? And... Her date said, well, I, you know, I, I knew what you would wanted, so I ordered that. And then she swoons, the music swells, love music plays in the background. You know, I mean, it's just this scene where she realizes, wow, you really do care about me. You, you have been searching, knowing me, what I like, what I don't like, and was able to figure that out. And you just sense this love. That's the picture that came to mind of God knowing us so that he even knows the words that we're going to say. Now, to um, you men out there hearing online, don't try that at home. That only works in movies. That'll give you a whole lot of trouble unless you really know. You know, unless you're going to one, unless you're going like to some, like canes. They only make chicken fingers, so that's, you're okay. But um, all that, don't try that, okay? But it's a great, beautiful, it's a fun movie, uh, but a great illustration of what David is saying here about God. That God knows us so well, he even knows the words we're going to say. And then it goes, goes on, uh, starting with uh, verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. 
The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Not only God knows you, but God, God, in one of the ways he knows you, because he's with you. Wherever you go, God is by your side, actively relating with you. Uh, reminded of Isaiah 49:15, where uh, Isaiah, um, uh, uh, God says to Isaiah, uh, to um, his people, can, can a nursing mother forget the child at her breast? Can she forget the very child of her womb? And yet she might forget. It's possible she would forget. I will not forget you. Our our significance is based on God relating with us actively and knowing us, being with us, being for us. Our significance is anchored in Him. Then the, the passage goes on, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake And I am still with you. God has made you uniquely. I mean, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you ever consider that? The the marvels just of your human body, your very existence today. It's fascinating when you think about it. Um, I mean, I I love this stuff to to think about our human bodies just uh, and all that goes on today. You know, today. Today, your heart will pump 2,000 gallons of blood through its chambers. It's just today. And it'll take 100,000 beats to make that happen. Yet, I have not yet once today said heartbeat. I don't even think about it. Don't, Don't even realize it. Yet, it's... That's the, the, the work of God in each of our bodies. 17,000 breaths you will take today. And there, I don't remember this, uh, when I was asleep, I don't remember having to breathe, didn't remember it this, this morning. Your eye blinks 28,000 times a day. Again, I don't remember saying the do, but 28,000 in order to clean and to keep my eye moist because my eye is busy taking everything in around it and processing it a hundred times a second. That's how complex and fast the, the eye has to process the things that are around us. And those, those are just a few. Of the magnificent works that are going on in your body, in my body, right now. God indeed has made us magnificently, fearfully, and wonderfully made. 
And then the, the final section of Psalm 139 is, is rather unusual. It, 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 at first blush, it doesn't fit. You know, it doesn't seem to fit in this magnificent work of praise about God's love and our significance in God because He is, uh, he, he relates to us. He, he knows us so well because He has made us. But then at the end, notice this last part. I think what He's getting at here is that God refuses to give up on you. He refuses to give up on us. So, let me read this last section. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. O oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. You see, what I think is happening in this last part of the passage is David is overwhelmed with with God's um, creative genius and and, and that God's intimate relationship uh, with him and that his significance, his values anchored in God. Then he, he realizes the midst of the battle with evil that he's in. That he's surrounded with evil and, and he lashes out at it at first. You know, saying, using language, I, I hate it, it's, it's wicked, destroy it. And then, realizing he's in the midst of it himself, he offers himself, oh God, but first do it in me. Search me and know me. Teach me, show me the right way. What David realizes, his significant, it's significance, his value, so anchored in God that God refuses to give up on him and on me and on you. Even in the midst of our disobedience, even in the midst of the evil in which we're surrounded and even exists within us, our significance is secure. And finally, beyond Psalm 139, but what we know of the whole scripture that speaks to, one more point uh, that solidifies our significance being anchored in God, uh, really is a good illustration from today. Uh, that How do we value things? How do we give them significance? Um, well, I, like my mom's uh, selling her house. She's in the middle of getting her house ready to sell. And the realtor... You know, setting the price. So this is the price we want to sell. And, sh- and the realtor told mom, well, you know, the, what we're looking for is the one person who, who gives significance to this house. Who, who gives value to the house this much. And she points to the asking price. That's what we're looking for. Because in our world, how we value things, a way that we gauge it is how much are we willing to pay? Brothers and sisters in Christ, what we've already celebrated today in the forgiveness that we've received in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus is that God holds you so valuable, holds us so valuable that he sent his son to die for us, to pay that price. That set the value and the significance of you and me and all of creation. So if that is true, if God is that much for us, if God knows us, if God has made us, if God refuses to give up on us, if God has died for us, man, we want to live in that significance. 
We want to live anchored in that sense of value about ourselves. And we have all kinds of voices around us that are trying to contradict that. They're, they're trying to, to use how, how the magnificent our eyes in, always processing what's around us. Well, there's all kinds of ways that, that we hear, we see and hear other messages. I mean, the devil might be lying to you right now, whispering to you right now in the midst of your doubts, in your fear, in your pain. He's whispering to you that you are insignificant, that you do not matter, that you are not valuable. If Psalm 139, if it is true, if the reality that God knows you, He made you, He refuses to give up for you, and He died for you, then that is a lie. Bald face, bold lie. And we also have a lot of messages from what the Apostle John calls the ways of the world. Today we use the language systemic. There are systems in our world that set things up, uh, that, that we participate in, we perpetuate even, even though we don't even know them. You know, it's the, the ways, again, what John calls the ways of the world, ways in our own uh, uh, society, in our own culture, that, that we might say that our influence, or no, that our value, uh, that our significance is determined by something else than God. It may be our influence or our intelligence. That's what gives you real value and significance. It it, it may uh, be... um, Oh, yeah. Maybe your fame or your fortune is what really gives you value. Or it may be your looks or your lineage. Somehow, those are what really give you value. Those are what really give you significance. And those kinds of messages are all around it and others. That, that again, the systems of the world that lie to us. I want to talk about just about one. Uh, one, uh, uh, and that's looks. You know how our looks can be this way. And there's a, um, a complex called the Quasimodo complex. And there was a, um, a whole uh, study, this is mostly in the 60s and 70s, done in, in Britain. And what they did, um, they, they wanted to see how does our physical looks, how do our physical looks affect just who we are in life? And so uh, what they, they did is they did a survey of, a large group survey of the, the nation. They, they found that really 20% of the population had some kind of deformity. Physical deformity, particularly around the face. And that's where they, they focused. That protruding ears, misshapen noses, receding chins, scars on their face from childhood um, issues, birthmarks, eye deformities of some kind. 20% of the population. And then they, they went specifically into the prisons. Particularly prisons where violent crimes were committed. Think, mur- murder, rape, things in that um, vein. And... They found that 60% of the population of inmates had facial deformities. Huge difference. 20% of the population, 60% of the population in prison. So as they then dug into that, they found so many of these inmates had encountered bullying and rejection 
suffering cruelty in their childhood lives that impacted their life choices. Impacted what they thought about themselves. The value and significance they gave to themselves. Also um, uh, looked some into how did their what they looked like influence the whole judicial system. Didn't, weren't able to explore that, but just wondered about that in terms of them being charged and being found guilty. And then they, they started to do surgery on some of the people that they could who had things that could be corrected given the wisdom of the day. And as they were released, those that then went, some of them then were able to move beyond their past into a new future. But that's just, that Cosimoto complex, just one of the ways, rather vivid ways, that the world can influence you and me to give value and significance according to the ways of the world instead of the security that we know is in God. So what, what we want is to live into the freedom of our significance being in God. That our very value is of God. We, we want to be secure in that significance. Because we know as, as we're secure in God, like the flak jacket, it, it gives us that sense of being able to live in the abundance of God's provision, in the freedom that God has given us, and in the humility of being God's children. If God is indeed our, our creator, uh, God is our king, and he owns all that is, then, then we do live in abundance wherever we are. If God is with us, uh, wherever we go, then he says, I am with you. You do not need to live in fear. And, and if we know that God knows us so well, God refuses to give up on us and even has died for us, that these are his promises, this is true, then what do we need to prove? And we can indeed live in the humility of serving and loving him, loving our neighbor. Because God's value assigned to you and to me does not change. It is not impacted by inflation, does not waver with the fads. We want to live in that freedom and in that abundance and in that humility. Don't we? Uh, it, just, it just sounds wonderful. Well, I got a couple things then to think about. A couple things to think about this week. What, what are the lies that you believe about your significance? You know, is there some way that you think, yeah, you just lack this. You just lack that to be truly significant. Now, don't get me wrong. We all need to improve. We all need to, to grow. We all need to learn, develop skills, and uh, grow in wisdom from our experiences. Those are all good, uh, but we don't get our significance from that. We don't get our value from that. As a matter of fact, our significance, our value is not enhanced or decreased by that because it is based on God. How have you been influenced by the world system to, to think that you need to have the, the look or the lineage, the influence or the intelligence, the, the fame or the fortune? 
to truly be valuable. You know, consider those things in your life this, this week. And, and I, I would say positively, you know, wake up every morning, read Psalm 139. Make that the, the word of truth that you hear every day. No, this is my value. This is my prepare as you go out into the, to the world to hear and see all the other messages as the evil one seeks to give you his lies. You continue to look at Psalm 139 and marvel at the significance and value that God gives to you. And if you get, grow tired of Psalm 139, well, try Romans 8. It's a, also a very good one to really experience and, and know the truth of your significance and value in God. Another, another question to, to ask yourself, uh, similarly again, what, what are you doing in order to gain acceptance and significance? You know, how, do, do you, what, can you think about ways that you're... Mo- if I do this, then I gain significance, I gain uh, value. See, we don't live in order to gain significance or to live or to gain value. We live out of the very significance and value we have in Jesus Christ. So that's what frees us now to, to live in the fullness of life because our value and significance is anchored in him. Now, finally, one, one other thing to, to consider th- this week. Take a good, hard look at how you value others. How do you make snap judgments about them? We all do it. It's just part of who we're made. We make those snap judgments. But the question is, uh, upon what basis? And, and a lot of times, those snap judgments are made according to how uh, the, the world values people. And often we can see about how we value others is how we value ourselves. I, 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 there, there's no, uh, I don't have a scientific survey on that. I don't have, a, there, not a Bible verse that says that's for sure the case. Uh, but just armchair my observations, mostly about myself. How I judge other people is usually how I end up judging myself. If I, if I look at looks, or if I look at fame, or I look at intelligence... Of others, that's usually how I gauge, how I measure my own value. And also, know this, that if indeed my value and significance is based, securely based, upon what value and significance God has given me, then you know what? So is whomever else I see. Their value and significance is based on the same thing. They have inestimable value because God knows them, because God has created them, because God refuses to give up on them, and God has died for them in Jesus. So the same value and significance that I give to myself, I give to whomever crosses my path. To value your significance or anyone else's significance on anything else but God's value of you or them is fickle, destructive, and a never-ending, frustrating pursuit of the next thing. 
But we want to live in the freedom of knowing that our significance comes from God who knows us, who made us, who never gives up on us and who died for us. In God, your value, your significance, His value, His significance, her value, her significance is secure. Amen.